myself. <laughs> oh, good, there's three of us. Um, you know, the privilege is all ours to be invited to be here with you today, and we've had such a great weekend. Uh, we spent time with the flukes and time with your pastor and his wife yesterday, and, and our, all of our conversation is around what God is doing. We really believe that the Lord Jesus Christ wants to change people's lives and to give them abundant, joyful life. And it's just great to be here because when we walked in, right away, people were, oh, we're so happy you're here. Come on in. Um, we felt so very welcomed. And that's important because you want people to walk into those doors and feel welcomed as soon as they get here. And uh, the joy is just ours. When I walked in here, I was looking around at your various uh, posters, and I saw a face of a very good friend. This little gal in the middle with the, the black veil and dark hair lives in Rome, Italy. We've known her since she was about six years old. Her name is Esther Levesque. Her father's a pastor that is a very dear friend. Her father-in-law is another uh, pastor, and uh, that's a real person. It's a real believer, and her picture was taken in front of a youth tent, uh, a camp. So um, it's fun to come in and see Esther's face. It just uh, made me almost want to cry, you know, because I miss those people. But, you know, the Lord gave us a privilege. When we were young, we were called to missions, foreign missions. And uh, both of us grew up in churches that talked about foreign missionaries. Now today, we've got all kinds of kids here. And as these kids are hearing about foreign missions, some of them are going to be called. Some of them are going to be called. Some of these kids that are around here are going to hear about it and hear what God is doing and hear that God wants to use willing people to even go overseas and preach the gospel. And Terry and I were among those kids. We both grew up in churches that talked about foreign missions, and there was always an emphasis of, you don't know what God has for you, but you do want to be willing to hear his voice. And so the Lord speaks to us, and uh, he guides us, and he leads us. And Terry and I had the privilege of spending 39 years in Italy preaching the gospel. We worked with Teen Challenge. We worked with uh, international churches. We worked with the Italian church. And one of the greatest thrills we've had in being missionaries is when we went to Italy, Italy was a country that needed missionaries. Today, they are a country that is sending missionaries. And they are sending missionaries to North Africa. And they're sending them to the Balkans. And the the whole, it's so beautiful. In Italy today, young people are feeling God's call to leave the comfort of home and go serve him someplace else, to learn another language, learn another culture, be very familiar with uh, whatever God has for you, even in a different culture. So we just thank God for this wonderful privilege we've had. I, I just might add really quickly that Terry and I are in our 60s, and we felt like the Lord was saying to us that it's okay. You can go back to the United States and spend time with your families. We have six grandchildren, and we've spent very little time with them. And our children uh, came back to the United States to go to Bible College University, and we've spent very little time with them since they've been 18 years old. And we thought, 
you know, Lord, if you allow us to do that, that'll be wonderful. And so we begin to plan and come back to the States and spend time with our grandchildren. And about two months before we got home, our son called us and said, let's get on Skype. We got to talk with you. And they said, sit down, because what we're going to say is a little bit of a shock. God has called us to missions. <laughs> and we're going to Brazil. <laughs> and so um, we came home in June, and they left in August. And my first reaction was, man, that is not fair. You know, some people get their children lived, you know, three miles down the road their whole lives, you know. And we haven't been near our family, you know, for the last 30 years, you know. And um, it just didn't seem fair. But then I, I reflected on it. It didn't take very long. Thank you, Jesus, that our son and his wife heard your voice. Thank you, Lord, that you speak to your people. Thank you, Lord, that you put willingness in their heart to serve. Oh, thank you, Jesus. And I just might add that my prayer for my children, all the time they were growing up, I told them, I don't care who you marry. I don't care what kind of job you have. And I don't even care where you live. But would you please ask Jesus to guide you in all these decisions? Would you seek God's will before you marry, before you get a job, before you go to school, and let the Lord lead you and all that. And he has. And God has done that. So I just thank the Lord for his blessings in my life. And I thank the Lord for churches just like this that are saying it's worth putting boots on the ground. It's worth sending missionaries to live overseas. Short-term missions can be a blessing, definitely. But short-term missions need long-term missionaries to make it work. And we've had the privilege of being the long-term missionaries. So thank you for your part in helping long-term missionaries stay on the field. Thank you. Amen. When God called us to Italy, I was a youth pastor like Richard. And uh, God uh, gave us a vision, gave me a vision. I was praying in, uh, in my office, and I had a heaviness in my heart, and all of a sudden I saw a vision, and I saw Italy. And I thought, Italy? What's this all about? And I saw Fiat 500s going back up, up and down the street. You know, the Lord has a sense of humor. And um, Fiat is F-I-A-T. It means fix it again, Tony. And, um, <laughs> but then I saw, I saw Italians walking up and down streets, and they had sad faces, and God said, I want you to go to Italy to preach the gospel. And so for 40 years, we have been ministering to uh, Italian people. My grandfather came from Italy, from northern Italy, and, um, and we have just, just given our lives. And, and it's such a beautiful family over there, beautiful family of God. And uh, I can give, you know, give you an entire uh, uh, list of what, how God led us to do that. You know, I had no idea about what God was doing in Italy because it seemed so far away and it seemed, you know, in fact, when I would tell people, we're going to Italy, and they say, Italy, isn't that a Christian country? Isn't that a modern country? Well, it's a modern country, that's sure, that's for sure. They make Ferraris, you know. I mean, that's a modern country. But, you know, they need Jesus. They need Jesus desperately. And, uh, well, don't they have religion? Oh, they've got religion, but they need Jesus, you see. 
There's a difference between having religion and having Jesus. You need Jesus. Jesus is the one that changes lives. And we can say that God is doing a mighty, mighty work in Italy. It's a strong, strong church, and we thank God for that. Shall we take a look at our Bibles together? And we will look at uh, Acts chapter 16 uh, very briefly, and I will try and put a couple missionary stories in here and uh, challenge you with your faith promises. You know, what is a, what is a faith promise? It means, uh, it means this. Lord, if, if you help me, if you give me the financial means to do it, I promise, I, I want to I promise, and no one else will know this but you and God, I promise to give $100 a month to missions. Or, Lord, if you provide, I'll, I'll give, if you give me a raise in my job, I'll, I'll give $200 a month to missions if, that's what, if you give me the money. And that's basically how a faith promise works. And, and the way Marcia, my, my wife and I do it, we have our tithe. It automatically goes out in, a, in an automatic online transfer every month. Bloomp, bloomp, bloomp. There goes that tithe to the, uh, you know, to the Northwest Ministry Network that we need to give it to. And then, and then what we do is we also write uh, a check every month. Or, and we have also another online uh, uh, withdrawal that goes out to support missionaries in the Assemblies of God World Missions. Bloomp. It goes out every month. We don't even miss it, actually, because it's automatic. And, and, and at the same time, God is blessing us because you cannot give, out-give God. Uh, you give to God, He will provide the, the funds to, uh, to live. And not only that, you'll probably arrange it so you get a better job or get a raise. You say, man, what are you talking about? Well, uh, I can give you thousands and thousands of examples of how that works. You give your finances to God, God will take care of your finances. And God has told me many times... You take care of my business, I'll take care of your business. And that's what God has told me many times. So you take care of God's business, God will take care of your business. Okay, let's take a look at Acts chapter 17 here very briefly. This is a missionary call. And I am so glad to see Robbie, who's from Italy. Um, it's nice to speak to someone in Italian every once in a while. Okay, joy di vederti. Are you ready? Acts chapter 16. And I'm going to start reading from, uh, from verse 6. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word of God in the province of Asia. Now, in these few verses, I'm going to, you're going to see something very interesting. You're going to see the Trinity. You're going to see the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and how they're involved in missions. All right? Having been kept by the Holy Spirit, that's one person of the Trinity, and from preaching the word in the province of Asia, when they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter the Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus, there's the second person of the Trinity, would not allow them to do that. So they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of the man of Macedonia standing and begging him, Come over to Macedonia and help us! After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God, there's the third person of the Trinity, Father, had called us to preach the gospel to them. Then I'm going to go down a little further. There's a conversion of Lydia, a businesswoman, by the way, who gave her tithes to her local church and probably gave her second tithe to world missions, Lydia. She was a businesswoman, all right? A Roman businesswoman. The Roman Empire said if you have at least three children and... Uh, and uh, you have the right to have a business license in the Roman Empire. So there were a lot of businesswomen in the Roman Empire. So we assume that Lydia had more than three children. Then we go on to uh, verse 16. Once when we were going to the place of prayer, 
We were met by a slave girl who had a, great, who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. This girl followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God, who are telling you to the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so troubled that he turned around and he said to the Spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And at that moment, the Spirit left her. When the owners of the slave girl realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, These men are Jews and are throwing our city into uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten. Ay, ay, ay. And what they had back in those days, they had these, these groups of sticks that were tied together. And they called this a fascio, uh, you know, because it was, that's the way that, you know, it's fasciare, you know, it's a, it's a, it means to tie things together. And so they had these groups of sticks tied together, and that was a symbol of the Roman Empire and the police state. And you'll see that on some monuments, these sticks tied together, a fascio, and that's where the word fascism comes from. And they would take these sticks out, and they would beat people on the back if they were disobedient. And that's what happened to Paul the Apostle. Aya, can you imagine? Oh, man, getting beat on the back with the sticks. But they didn't stop there. They threw them into prison. Verse 24, and upon receiving such orders, he put them in an inner cell and fastened their feet in stocks. Oh, man, what a rough day. I mean, they cast out a demon. What happens? They get accused of doing stuff against the Roman Empire. They get beat on the back with these sticks. Uh, and, then, and then they get thrown in prison, and then they have to have their feet locked in these stocks. Now, they could have had, uh, you, know, what, you know, what would some of us do? We would complain, Mamma mia, you know. How horrible, this is terrible, I'm trying to serve Jesus, and all I do is get beaten up. God, where are you anyway? You know, does, does anybody have that attitude once in a while? Yeah, probably, yeah. Thank you for your honesty. Sometimes we really complain because things don't go the way we want. Let me put this on your hard drive, okay? A lot of times in spiritual warfare, things will always get worse before they get better. All right? Remember that. Things will always get worse before they get better. So anyway, Paul had the victory, but how did he have the victory? He had faith in God, and that's why later on he was able to write Romans 8, 28. All, for I know... That all things work together for good to them that love God and are called according to His purpose. You know? So no matter if you're sitting in stocks in a prison cell, it's going to work out for the better. God is going to get the victory if you keep the proper attitude. All right? So he had the proper attitude, he and Silas. And so what happened? Verse 25, And about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once all the prison doors flew open and everybody's chains came loose. The jailer woke up. He was a Roman jailer, pagan. And when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We're all here. The jailer called for lights and rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? 
He said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Surrender your life to Jesus. And you and your household will be saved. That's the message from the scripture. Let's take a look at this for a little bit. A missionary will always have a Macedonian call. And you will have a Macedonian call here in Camas. And I'm so glad you're here. Man, I tell you, when we drove up that hill and we saw this, uh, this, this, this building and we saw the, how you're working on the parking lot, I said, thank you, Jesus. Here's a lighthouse on the hill. This is great. Praise God. Because God has called you to this area to preach the gospel to those who are in prison, all right? Those who are, are sick and, and bound by the devil, you know? Well, it happened that I was praying in my office as a youth pastor. I was like Richard. And I, I just felt that big brick in my stomach, and I got on my knees, and I said, God, what is it that you want? And, and I had this, this call, go to Italy. Go to Italy. And later on, I would get these dreams and visions about people in Italy that needed God desperately. Come over to Italy and help us. And that's the Macedonian call. That's why a missionary goes. And there was nothing else that would deter us from that. I was 27 when we got our appointment to go to missions, to go overseas. Marcia was 25. Now I'm uh, about 67. And Marcia's 38. All right. <laughs> All right. <laughs> and I can say this. We have seen God change lives. Let me give you an illustration of, a, of, a, of what, you know, the, Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ because it is the, oh, there it is, A+. Plus. <laughs> I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ for it is the power of God unto salvation. And uh, there's a neighborhood in Naples called uh, Gianturco. It's a neighborhood, a very violent neighborhood with all kinds of tenement buildings and the mafia. They call it La, La Camorra, the mafia, which is very strong in that part of the city. You see, there are problems that only God can solve. You know that? You know, the president, uh, the president of the United States can't solve most problems because most problems are, are based on sin. All right? Uh, the governor of the state of Washington can't solve most problems because most problems are based on sin. And, and the governor, you know, I mean, so you've got problems that these politicians, you know, we've got to pray for them, and some of them, well, pray for them. Um, I mean, they, sometimes they just make things worse, don't they? Because most problems in this world can only be solved by the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, a missionary, he goes out there and nobody knows him. You know, and sometimes you get spit on. Sometimes you get called to the police station. I've been called to the police station four times. And I've been examined at gunpoint uh, at least three times. And I've itinerated eight times, all right? And so, I mean, a missionary doesn't have any, I mean, there's, you're, not on, you're not going to be on TV. You're not going to be famous. But let me tell you this, those people that are out there preaching the gospel are doing more to change the world than some politician is. Because a missionary preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ will see lives transformed, whereas a president of the United States cannot transform a life and cannot liberate a person from sin or liberate a person from the power of the devil. All right? So anyway, the mayor of the city of Naples, he had a problem. Violence and crime in Gianturco. You know what he did? He was a very intelligent guy. He went to the 
Pentecostal pastor, the pastor of the Assembly of God Church. His name is Mattia Basile. He says, uh, Pastor Basile. Yes, Mr. Mayor. And this is a city of two million people, right? He says, we don't know what to do about John Turco. But I tell you what, the city will give you a large open field in the middle of the neighborhood. You clean it up and you put up a tent and do what you Pentecostals do. Oh, and by the way, by the way, just let me tell you something else. I, I love all of our brethren here in America and even our non-Pentecostal brethren. And I love them. We love them. We're all, we're all going to heaven, those who are washed in the blood. In, uh, but if it overseas, if it's not Pentecostal, it's not going to get off the ground. All right? So anyway, Matthias sets up this big tent. All right? Oh, about the size of this room here. And... Uh, and he gets his kids down there with the guitars and drums, and they start playing the music. And uh, people come out of the tenement buildings to see, hey, hey, what's going on? Man? Let's go look. Yeah, let's go look, see what's going on. All right, so everybody starts coming out of the tenement buildings. And the very first preacher he asked to come and preach was little old me, me. And so Marcia and I show up in the middle of this ghetto, tenement buildings everywhere. I mean, it's amazing, you know, people smoking marijuana and all that kind of stuff, and I mean, it looked like a rough crowd. Not, they weren't smoking marijuana in the tent. But um, we get there in this rough neighborhood, right? And there were guards out there watching our cars so our cars wouldn't get stolen. And I said, wow, Matia, this is really something. He says, uh, yep. And I get up there and I preach a very simple message. John 3.16. Porque Dio tanto amante o mundo, que ha dado su unigenito filiolo, finque quiunque crede en lui non perisca, ma abia vita eterna. That's John 3.16. And you have to talk that way, otherwise they won't understand, you're right? So, and so we preached, gave the altar call. How many of you need Jesus? How many of you need freedom from sin? How many of you need a change in your life? How many of you need hope? How many of you have problems that only God can solve? Come forward and we'll pray. And boom, a whole bunch of young people came forward. And three old guys, three old codgers. And so the pastor, Matti, and I, we prayed for these young kids, and these kids were asking Jesus into their life. We get to the three old guys and get to the first guy, and I say, uh, because they don't know how to pray, you have to teach them how to pray. They just knew how to recite something, you know, but they don't know how to talk spontaneously to Jesus. And so this old guy, I said, you, you want Jesus? Yeah, see. Okay, repeat after me. Dear Jesus. Dear Jesus. Come into my heart. Come into my heart. Forgive me of my sins. Forgive me of my sins. You know, uh, help me to love you and serve you. Help me to love you and serve you. And after it was all over, Matthias says to me, he says, do you know who those guys were? I said, no. He said, uh, well, those were three heads of the mafia here in the neighborhood. And I said, man, I hope that that prayer took, you know. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I said, he said, he said, the first guy, uh, he was in prison for 30 years, and he just got out of prison last week. He was in prison 30 years. He was in solitary confinement 19 years. And I said, well, man, what in the world did he do? I, he said he put a bomb in the courthouse in downtown Naples in the 1970s. He blew up the courthouse. You know, that's one way to, you know, get out of your trial. He just blew up the courthouse. One of the most violent men in the city of Naples. People were afraid of him. People would, he would walk down the street, and the, the streets would clear. 
And he had a whole bunch of gangsters that worked with him. I mean, the most feared man in the city of Naples, especially in that part of Gianturco and Secondigliano, this neighborhood that's really rough. And uh, I said, wow, I hope that prayer took. Well, we, we went back to Rome. We came back because it became a yearly thing. We would go back a year later and preach under the tent. And then who would we find as an usher who was standing, a greeter, <laughs> standing outside the tent with a Bible under his arm. We walk up there, and, uh, and there was, and by the way, his name is Pacifico, which means peaceful. And, um, <laughs> and there he was. I say, Pacifico, how are you? And he says, oh, praise the Lord, brother, pretty, I'm doing great. And he's got his Bible. I'm, aren't you glad he had a Bible instead of a machine gun, you know? <laughs> And, uh, and then we went, you know, he was the usher. And then I remember going back the year after that, and there he was with his Bible under his arm. We went back the year after that, and there he was with his Bible under his arm. We were there last March, a year ago, and uh, to the church, and he was the guard in the parking lot. Because if you don't guard your cars in Naples, when you get out of church, your car won't be there anymore, right? And he said, don't worry about a thing, brother, pretty, I'll watch your car. And, uh, and so he, uh, he, he did it. My car was there when I got out of church. And, he's, and, and now he lives in the United States under witness program, witness protection program. But you see, God changes lives. It's the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ that changes lives. It's not me. It's the gospel. That's why you need missionaries out there. That's why you need preachers out there with boots on the ground that can speak the language and preach the gospel with, without fear and just share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we need to do that in America. We need to be willing to get out there and just even sometimes stand on a street corner and say, hey, Jesus is the answer. And if you don't accept Jesus, there's no hope. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And that's, uh, that was the Macedonian call that Paul the Apostle had. He went, into, he went into Europe for the very first time. He went into this Roman city for the very first time. That Roman city never had a church in Philippi. He had to change languages. He was able to speak in Hebrew and, and uh, in Aramaic with all the synagogues. And all of a sudden he had to start speaking Greek and Latin. And he had to change languages. He had to change cultures. But he started to preach. And then... Uh, he found this uh, slave girl that was demon-possessed. Oh, mamma mia. What are you going to do with a slave girl that's demon-possessed? You know, and uh, I remember when we started the Teen Challenge program in Italy in 1979. We had two kids that started out with us, drug addicts, both heroin addicts. One was French-Libyan, and one was uh, from northern Italy, Torino. And the French-Libyan young man was very violent, very erratic, crazy. And I would try to calm him down. Once he ran after the cook with a knife, and we had to grab the knife out of his hand. And the food was not that bad either. I don't know what the problem was. <laughs> and, you know, trying to calm him down all the time. And once I was looking out the window of my office, and I saw him, you know, give a fist in the face of one of our workers and knocked our worker down to the ground, you know, just knocked him out and I ran out there, and I grabbed Aisa. His name is Aisa Burton. And I said, that's enough. We can't put up with people like you. You're too violent. You're too out of control. You're just making, you can't go beating up our staff, you know. And so I put him in the car, and I was driving him down to the train station. I was going to send him away, and he starts to cry. Now, that is where you need the Spirit of God. Because the Spirit of God, when you pray, the Spirit of God is going to be working behind the scenes. 
And the Spirit of God came into our car and started working with that young man. And he starts to cry. And he says, please don't send me away. Please don't send me away because I have no other hope. <laughs> Had no hope. Now, let's, um, there are some politicians that say hope, right? <laughs> That's their theme, hope. But let me tell you something. It's not politics. Politics are not the hope. Amen. Jesus yeah. is the only hope. And uh, let's just, let's just uh, okay, let's go to the uh, governor of the state of Washington. Knock on his door. Boom, boom, boom. Uh, Mr. Governor? Yes. Uh, we have a young man. He's a French Libyan. He's a heroin addict, and he's demon-possessed. Um, could you do something about that, please? What was his answer be? His mouth would drop open and say, drug addict, demon-possessed. Uh, I don't know how, what we can do. Maybe we can put him in a home. Maybe we can raise taxes or something, you know. He would be completely helpless to handle the problem. Because the power is not in that government official. The power is in the name of Jesus Christ. Because there's only one who can give hope to problems like that. There's only, people have problems that only God can solve. And that's why you send missionaries. And that's why you make a faith promise. Because you know, hey, this is a needy world. This world is falling apart. But the only answer is missions. Either home or abroad. It's the only answer. So uh, let's go to the uh, President of the United States. Boom, boom, boom. Yes. Mr. President. Yes. Uh, your theme is hope. Yes. We have a, I have a Libyan Italian here. His name is Aisa Burton, and he's a, he's a heroin addict, and he's a demon-possessed. Could you do something? Well, maybe we can... Uh, Maybe we can, uh, you know, give them over to the uh, Affordable Health Care Act, you know. <laughs> I'll tell you one thing, that's not going to solve the problem. Or maybe we can raise more taxes. No, that's not going to do it. There are problems that only God can solve. No matter how much money you spend on it, only God's going to solve it. And let me tell you this, the grace of God is free. Salvation is free. The only thing that costs is you got to pay that plane ticket so the missionary can get over there to preach it. That's all. Uh, you wish you would, angels could go. Angels don't have to buy plane tickets, but God wants people to go, and that's why God sent Paul to Philippi. So here's this demon-possessed girl, and what does Paul do? He says, in the name of Jesus Christ, foul spirit, I command you to come out. And boom, that spirit left. And that woman was freed. Didn't cost a penny. Um, so anyway, I says to Aisa, he's in the cry, a car crying. He says, don't send me away, don't send me away. And I says, uh, and I started talking to him, and I got uh, the idea that he was demon-possessed. I says, is it possible you're demon-possessed? He says, I think so. And I said, mamma mia. <laughs> you know, I had a hard, I, you know, I, I didn't, I was 28, 29 years old. I, I didn't have a whole lot of experience in this. And I said, I tell you what, let's pray and fast. You want Jesus, right? Yes. Because, okay, if you want Jesus, we'll do this. So we fasted and prayed that evening. I said, tomorrow morning, let's meet in the chapel at 8 o'clock and we'll pray. And we'll cast that thing out. So 8 o'clock in the morning came and I was together with two other workers, John Franco and Chirito. They came in. Aisa came in. I looked at him and I 
I spoke to that evil spirit. I said, in the name of Jesus Christ, you foul spirit, I command you to leave in Jesus' name. You know? And all of a sudden, he screams. Bloody murder, just, ah, you know, just horrifying scream. And he fell to the ground. And it looked like he was dead. And I, went, I walked over there with my boot, and I just sort of nudged him with my boot. <laughs> I said to my coworkers, I said, I, I don't know, but I think we killed him. You know. <laughs> now what are we going to do? Well, if you read Mark chapter 9, you find out that that's what happened in Mark chapter 9 with a young man. And I looked down and I said, Aisa. And then he opened his eyes and he smiled. He put up his hand, I grabbed his hand, and I picked him up, and he was totally delivered from that demon. You know, praise God. Amen. And uh, give glory to God. There's power in the name of Jesus. That's where the power is. And, uh, and two weeks later, he was baptized in the Holy Spirit, began to speak in other tongues. He finished that program. He was with us for a whole year till, uh, till May, to May or June of, of 1980. I never saw him again. He left he moved uh, to some other part of the country. He traveled around. I never saw him again. Fast forward to 2014. Ready? 2014. I'm standing in the classroom at the Bible school in Rome, Italy. I'm teaching, I'm teaching the book of Hebrews. And um, I'm looking through the student register, and I see the name Hans Aisa Burton, the same name as that man that I, that young man of 35 years before. And I, and I looked at that young student, and I said, huh, you wouldn't be related to a young man that was in our teen challenge center 35 years ago that uh, was a drug addict and demon-possessed, and I have not seen him for 35 years. Would you know who that, are you related to him? He says, yes, uh, he's my father. So here you had that young man that was demon-possessed, drug addict, delivered delivered from drugs, delivered from the power of Satan, went through the Teen Challenge program, went out into life, got married, married a Christian gal, had four beautiful children, raised them in the, in the Lord, and now his son is studying to prepare for the ministry. That's the joy of being a missionary, being a missionary for 35, 40 years. <laughs> so anyway, we get to the end of the story, Acts chapter 16. Paul and Silas are in the prison singing hymns. Oh, and here's my, Richard, here's my advice for your generation. You know, we thank God for technology and electricity, right? Yeah, I got to have the amplifier, right, and the computers. Yeah, that's fine. I love it. Praise God, you know. More volume, the better. That's okay. But never forget that there may come a time when you young people are sitting in a prison cell and there's no amplification. And Paul and Silas, this is what they did. They sang hymns. And here you have a jailer that was a pagan, a Roman pagan. He had no idea who Jesus was. He had no idea what question to ask. But how is it that he knew what question to ask? How does a pagan Roman who prays to Jupiter and everything else, how did he know to ask the question, what must I do to be saved? How would a pagan know how to answer that question or ask that question? He heard them singing in the prison. They probably sang five verses of something. Maybe they sang five verses of Amazing Grace, but 
they sang in the prison and it ministered to the heart of that jailer so that he had enough knowledge to say, what must I do to be saved? So let's have the amplification. We need it. We need to draw the crowd, but we also need to be able to sing when there's no electricity. Can we just stand and pray for a moment? Praise you, God. Thank you, Lord, for this day. Oh, I thank you, Lord, for this mixed crowd. There are some uh, old guys like me standing here, and there are some young guys, young people. Lord Jesus, we need the older folks to pray and to send out, and we need the young folks to go. Lord, I thank you for Pastor Brian and Jill for their faithfulness, their, their perseverance to stay here on this hilltop and to preach the gospel. Lord, bless this church. Bless this church with your mighty power, I pray in the name of Jesus. Make it a lighthouse, a greater lighthouse in this community. There are souls in this area that need salvation. Oh, Lord, make each person in this room a missionary to this community, I pray in Jesus' name. And Lord, out of this group, you will also call young people and maybe middle-aged people to, to missions. Who knows? But out of this group, you will call missionaries. Lord, help us to be faithful to give. And now, Lord, there's probably someone here today that has a problem that only you can solve. And I pray by your Holy Spirit that you will work your miracle now in the name of Jesus. If you have a problem that only God can solve, I would just like to invite you to stand here in front of the platform and we'll pray for you. You say, but I'm shy. Why do I have to go forward? Well, because that's the way Jesus did it. He always asked for a person to make a public confession of faith by stepping out. Because Jesus said, if you're ashamed of me before the world, then, you know, I'll be ashamed of you before my Father, you know. But who's not ashamed of me? I will confess them before my Father. So it's a step of faith to not be ashamed, just to, to admit your need for Jesus, you see. So Jesus called Bartimaeus, Bartimaeus, come here. He called Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus, come here. You know, he always called people publicly. And the woman that, uh, that touched the hem of his garden, who was that that touched me? She wanted to hide. Who was it? Who was it? Well, didn't he know? Yeah, he knew who it was, but she had to come forward and say, it's me. I needed you, Lord. So if you need prayer this morning, I just ask you to come forward. And just very simple, five, ten minutes of prayer and worship. Maybe the worship team can play something real soft. And let's just let the Holy Spirit take charge here for the next five, ten minutes, can we? And let's just uh, pray for those who need prayer. And let's worship. Maybe there'll be a message in tongues, interpretation. Let's just let the Holy Spirit take charge here, shall we? Amen. Here we have a group that needs, we have some people that are up here for prayer. And Pastor Brian, if you have uh, prayer people uh, uh, that want to help, they can come. Amen. Praise God. Praise God.